the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host today, Tina Smith, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment. Tina has been with WellMed for a little over two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this past September, yes. It's amazing how time flies. She's manager of the Caregiver SOS program, and we'll tell you about that, through the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Earned a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in social gerontology. She started her career working in the long-term care industry as an activity director and social service director. Think of a cruise ship, and there she is with a whistle and a T-shirt. Then she moved on to serve as the local managing ombudsman at the Bear County Bear Agency on Aging. Ombudsman handles everybody's complaints. She was an advocate for residents in long-term facilities. After serving in this role for two and a half years, she became the access and assistant coordinator at the Bear Agency called the AAA where she supervised the in-house program of benefits counseling, care coordination, and information and assistance. She's taught gerontology courses at Kaplan University through their online human services program for seven years. Tina's been with the Caregiver SOS program since September 2016, just as I said, a little over two years. I know. Time does fly. So for those who don't know, Mm -hmm. Tina, tell us what Caregiver SOS is. Oh, thank you, Ron. It's essentially we we know that family members who begin to take care of loved ones, it's not something that they plan on, and it's not something that you get training for. And we realize it's it can be a big job. And so at the Caregiver SOS program, our focus is that family member who is providing that care for a spouse, a, a parent, a sibling, to provide them information and support so that they can keep on providing that care for someone. And for many, it comes when they get a call from the ICU. Absolutely. Uh, it's not, again, it's not something that you can plan for sometimes. It's a, a crisis happens, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the position of having to take care of somebody. And how does the Caregiver SOS program really help? What do, what do you do hands-on with caregivers? Hands-on, we have caregiver specialists available to talk to, to caregivers. We can provide one-on-one consultation if you have a question about what direction you should go, what to expect with the condition that your loved one is dealing with. Sometimes maybe just connecting with area resources because it's hard to know where to start. I remember uh, several years ago interviewing one of the Caregiver SOS specialists who was counseling caregivers, and uh, she said to me, the magic word in talking to a caregiver is, how are you doing? Exactly. And she said the minute she asked that question, bring out the Kleenex. Exactly, and because oftentimes the caregiver gets so lost in this whole process. Their needs get pushed to the backside. They, no one asks about them, and so they do. It can be a very isolating experience. So like I said, that's why we want to focus on the caregiver themselves. Well, we have a caregiver with us who is willing to come in and talk with us, and we're very pleased she did. Dawn Hamilton cared for her husband who suffered from dementia, a type of dementia called Lewy body. We'll talk about that. And she's got a video link on YouTube that just rips your little heart out. We'll talk about that as well, because if you're looking for a good cry, just bring up Dawn's YouTube video. So, Dawn Hamilton, thanks for coming in. Thank now you, Now, lean Ron. into that microphone. Got you. Thank you, Ron, lean so right much. In. And uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure and an honor to, to be on this radio show. Tell us a little bit about uh, your husband before uh, he developed dementia, before you became aware there was a problem. Who was he? My husband was a consummate professional. He worked in corporate America. He always traveled. He was a vice president of pharmaceutical companies. And uh, during his 
uh, decline, he was working for the National Institute of Health doing a medication reminder device launch out of Washington, D.C. Very, very smart, very uh, articulate, and just someone that really helped everyone else. Now, you've been a caregiver for your kids. You've got six kids. Yes, sir. The Brady Bunch, you said to yes, me off the Yes, sir. Air. Yes, sir. And so you had some experience in the at least the mother caregiver role. Did you ever think you'd have to care for your husband? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What happened? John uh, called me one day from Washington, D.C. He was 56 and said, I can't find my car. And I thought that was... And where were you living? I was in San Antonio. And it was very concerning. We met at, uh, when we were in pharmaceuticals together in, in the late 80s, and he always helped me with directions because I have directional dyslexia. But for him to call me and say he couldn't find his car, it was very concerning. What was your first thought? What's going on and who is this person? So you immediately knew there was a problem. I knew something was wrong. There's an app on iPhones today. It tells you where your car is parked, <laughs> and maybe that's because of his situation. No, he couldn't use the apps. <laughs> How did he find the car? What were you able to do from San Antonio to Washington, D.C. to help him? I could not do anything. I could just listen and, and hear the fear in his voice and wonder what's going on and, and what is this. And as uh, you talked to him, ultimately he did find the car? He did find the car. But the the problem became uh, more and more. What were you seeing? You know, it's funny because I worked in the medical field for 30 years and have a lot of medical professionals. And everyone would say that absolutely nothing was wrong with John. But I would know uh, through my gut that something was wrong because certain things that he had always done, he was no longer doing. But very subtle. So providers would say, we don't see a problem? medical professionals. I took him to have him evaluated and they said there's nothing wrong because John could always uh, tell you anything that you wanted to know even in the height of his disease at the end. Well they say and, and Tina can talk about this that very often folks who go into the doctor are on their very best behavior. Yeah, yes. yeah definitely they often know how to answer questions and, and you know what to expect because a lot of them are very routine routine questions. I'm, I'm curious, how was he taking these changes that he was experiencing? You know, what? what's really uh, a blessing is we turned it all into humor because he would ask the same question six times and we would laugh and say, hey, we already answered that. And we found humor through the questions and the struggle. So it helped us not get frustrated while we were answering the same question six times. How about your kids? Because they had to be seeing problems as well. You know what? Uh, The children were all in denial. The children obviously were living their own lives, being college students and growing up. And they said that they didn't see what I saw and that maybe I was crazy. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Tina Hamilton, uh... Tina Hamilton. <laughs> Tina Smith, you're Hamilton, she's Smith. We were at a, an event last night, and I said to Tina Smith, that's a pseudonym. You made that name up. That can't be a real name. But she is Tina Smith. Carol Zerniel, our ordinary and regular and fabulous co-host, is on special assignment today, and we're talking with Dawn Hamilton about her role as a caregiver for her husband. 9.30 a.m., the answer is where you find us. I'm Ron Aaron. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, Dawn, but as, as we're talking about uh, your children, you said they were in denial. Uh, they had to be aware of, uh, of something. No, actually, um, the disease is very subtle in the beginning. And unless you're with them 24 hours a day, you don't notice the changes. And when people come in to visit, they see the good. They see the smile. They see, I call it muscle memory, where they've said, hi, I'm John. How are you? And people take that as you're 100%. But uh, someone who's laying in bed on, on their deathbed can say, hi, I'm John. So you can't always, you know, say just because they remember saying, hi, I'm John or how are you doing that they're fine. You didn't give up trying to find him help, despite what 
medical providers were telling you? You know, it's a really sad story. Um, I went to doctor after doctor. I went to specialist after specialist, and everyone said that John wasn't sick. And um, John had lost his job by then. We lost all our medical insurance, and I was doing it all on my own. And obviously, he was the, the breadwinner. And finally, um, after the doctors wouldn't agree that something was wrong, I begged one of them to do a, a diagnostic x-ray to see if he had a brain tumor. And at that point, they realized through the radiograph that John had had a severe shrinkage of his cerebral uh, of his brain. So they finally saw something. They finally saw what I was saying, but they couldn't believe that he was at such a high-functioning uh position. What did you think at the time? Thank you. I'm not crazy. And that's when I started uh, filming some of the videos because what I wanted to do was help families who are walking through what I'm walking through, help them understand what is needed and how you take care of a loved one. And more importantly, to remember what they're like when they're whole versus when they get towards the narrowing of life. Tina, it's tough enough to be a caregiver, but to be a caregiver where everyone else is in denial, I would think drives you absolutely batty. Well, it has because, I mean, as a caregiver, you need support, especially from those around you. And if you don't have it, you're standing out there by yourself. And so that's why it's important to reach out. You know, if you don't have that support at home, reach out to professionals, to neighbors, to friends, find that support that you can. And and I'm curious if you could, or, or Don, if you could tell us, because you said, you know, you had to be persistent in the face of a lot of denials. What can you advise caregivers? Because it, it is a tough system to, to navigate. It is tough to get that diagnosis sometimes. How do you, or what kept you going? What kept you continuing on on this journey? Well, I have a very strong faith, number one, and I loved him very much. Number two, there was a divine uh, uh, journey that I was on, and I'd like to give uh, Caregiver SOS a big shout-out because even though I worked in senior care and the doctor said, no, there's no way he could have this, I accidentally uh, ended up in a Caregiver SOS um, event and I was sitting in the back of the room listening to all the neurologists and the gerontologists and I thought oh dear god my husband has Alzheimer's dementia and that's how I found out I never gave up and I just kept begging and kept attending everything I could when did he realize he had a problem or, or did he he told us until the day he passed he didn't he was not sick when you look at that video, it's clear he hallucinated. He went off on uh, different tangents. You point out in the video that he became violent on occasion, which is very true of some forms of uh, uh, dementia. My dad, for example, uh, and my mom married 65 years, had a fabulous relationship. I don't ever remember them arguing while I was growing up. Uh, and as he developed dementia, he became much more verbally aggressive with her, which was just a shock. And then that passed. Well, in, in John, you have personality and, and behavior changes. And that's another key factor in understanding that they're becoming very, very ill. And what you have to do is just learn how to manage that and, and be kind and, and loving with them throughout all of that because they don't mean to be that way. How did you learn that? Because that's the exact advice Tina and her team would give to caregivers. But but how did you pick up on that? I think that's who I am. And, you know, you say for better or for worse, and nothing else was going to make the situation any better. As a matter of fact, only things make it worse. So I wanted to treat him as he had treated us all those years for 30 years. You never took it personally? No, sir. Even when he broke your wrist? As you watch the video that I made, you will see holes in doors where my grandchildren are in, in the the visual field and you will see the violence and the things that I endured and you can't take it personally because it's not them it's the disease absolutely at one point in the video he's uh, talking as if all the walls are gone and you know you were so patient talking with him uh, in order to bring him back and get him to go back to bed 
was that a regular occurrence? He would he would hallucinate from nine at night until eight in the morning and never sleep. And I never slept for four years. And it was something that you have to learn to adjust to and let your comp, uh, compensatory skills kick in. Now they call that sundowner. Sundowning and hallucinating. That's correct. Did you know it at the time? I did not know it at the time. I did learn through the caregiver SOS, which was just a. a a gift in my life and through learning uh, how to manage it because obviously we, you will see a little bit in the video where I was green and I was needing to learn because I was trying to redirect and you don't re- re- redirect. You just gotta, love. You, you got to join their scenario. You join the, You go in their bubble. Absolutely. All right. Stay with us just a minute. I'm Ron Aaron on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM The Answer. Tina Smith is co-host today as Carol Zerniel, our regular co-host, is on special assignment. And we're hearing an incredible story from Dawn Hamilton. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, where you can find that YouTube video. Uh, If you ever wondered uh, about peeking really through a hole into a family that was struggling uh, with an amazing amount of not only uh, dementia but a caregiver who learned how to adjust to that. That video shows it all. It's 16 minutes long, and and it will change your life. WellMed isn't your ordinary medical group. In fact, 9 out of 10 WellMed patients would recommend WellMed to friends and family. That's what WellMed patients in Texas and Florida said in a 2017 Press Ganey survey. Maybe we rate so highly because we have a better approach to health. WellMed doctors specialize in keeping people on Medicare healthy. We help you feel your best so you can live your best life. Maybe it's because we give you an entire medical team dedicated to looking out for you. Maybe it's the way we treat you with respect, spend extra time with you, or how we really listen. The Medicare annual enrollment period is October 15th to December 7th. Get the care you deserve Pick a plan that opens the door to WellMed. Discover the WellMed difference at WellMedFindADoctor.com. That's WellMedFindADoctor.com. Thank you so much for listening to us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. This program airs at 6 p.m. Sundays on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. But the good news is you can have a whole two hours of medical conversation, caregiver conversation, because WellMed Radio comes to you at 5 p.m. Sundays, also on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, with all kinds of information on medical conditions and more affecting uh, the Medicare-eligible population. We're talking uh, with Dawn Hamilton who became a caregiver out of the blue, helping her husband, who was developing uh, dementia. And Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is on special assignments. So sitting in with us today is Tina Smith, and we're delighted to have Tina here as well. Uh, you've had so much experience in, in this field. Is there a story you've never heard about the challenges of caregiving? There will probably always be new stories out there because everybody is so different. Every disease is different, and everybody is impacted differently by the disease. There are, there are a lot of commonalities, but... Every everybody's situation is different, so I'm sure that we'll always hear new, new, new and surprising things. Don, from the time uh, you knew there was a problem uh, till the ho- uh, the time your husband died, how long a period of time was that? Four years. It's pretty quick. Pretty quick. Very quick. And did you know that was the end result coming? Um, I I learned that. His brain was shutting down. I didn't realize that it was going to shut down that quickly. I thought it would be a 20-year diagnosis in which, you know, like Tina uh, said, you never know. Each case is so different. Uh, On the video, right near the time he passed away, you're interviewing him and talking with him. And to look at him physically, he looked fine. Right. And that's what I tell a lot of people. Um, I've helped at Oasis with uh, dementia counseling, and I've actually been talking to a lot of people from the video. I email them, and I'll call them. You can't see other diseases, and you cannot see Alzheimer's or dementia, and that's that's another uh, myth that people need to understand, that it's not only a disease that's hard to 
um, identify both medically and personally, but it's a conversation that it's my my uh, uh, mission now to let's start this conversation because we we do not have the infrastructure for what's set to happen here in the next 15 years with a lot of the people with the Alzheimer's dementia. You knew you needed help. Oh, I needed a lot of help. Where did you finally find it? I didn't find any help. My husband actually did not get medical coverage until 10 weeks before he passed away because we had done everything right. We we paid all our bills. Uh, we, you know, we were responsible citizens. And so um, when I went to get uh extra support outside of uh, his work in insurance, they wouldn't insure him because he was terminal. And then um, I didn't have the money to pay the uh, health insurance, which was astronomical. So I actually paid everything out of pocket. So you didn't qualify for Medicaid? We didn't qualify for Medicaid. We owned our home and, and there's a lot of criteria, but we absolutely had no support. What'd you think? Oh, it, it was tough. I, I thought I better get busy. So I, I worked two jobs. Uh, I begged, borrowed, and stealed. <laughs> uh, Doris Griffin. I thought you looked familiar. That, <laughs> that picture in the post office, that's you. Uh, Doris Griffin, who is just a beautiful soul that God planted right in my life. She's that's a senior center named after her at uh, Ingram. But I didn't know that at the time. Founded Jefferson. That's correct. I uh, was looking for employment, met that group, and then she said, let me help you. She was 87, and she actually would would uh, be the caregiver for my husband. And when she couldn't, her sister June, that was 90, would do it. Or her daughter, Joy, that was 65, would help me. And then, of course, my children. I mean, when you're covering 24-hour shifts, you take any help you can get. Well, Doris Griffin is just one incredible, amazing woman. Yes. Used to be a lounge singer in her youth. She's uh, just so incredibly talented and, and uh, uh, you know, has always been the spark of any room she walks into. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's pretty cool to hear that she and her sister and, and her it daughter were caregivers for you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and, and like I said, I didn't know any of them prior, so I didn't know what their legacy was or anything. I was just literally, God dumped them in my lap, and I said, what do I do with this? And Doris used to get so upset. She's like, why won't anyone help you, and why doesn't anyone listen that John's so sick? And I would just sit there with Doris and June and just cry. And say, I don't know, you know, I just, I can't figure it out. Yet they knew he was sick, and I knew he was sick, yet everyone else said, well, he seems fine to me. He lo- he looks great. That didn't help you? No. No, Tina? it didn't. I was just I was just wondering, you've touched on a little bit of some of the stressors that you were dealing with, the lack of sleep. I'm sure you weren't going to the doctor. You probably weren't eating Mm-mm. correctly. And then just on top of that, the, the stress that you're dealing with of having to to battle some of the, the, the help that you were trying to receive. How did this take a toll on you? How did all that stress, and, and, and were you able to kind of pull back a little bit and do something about it, or were you just mired down? And I was the- mired down. Um, I will say that I had a, a pretty fabulous uh, administrator at the time when I was working. Um, I've recently taken time off now since he's passed away. Uh, I I was working 10 hours a day with my company and then working all night with him. And the stressors that I de- were dealing with were surreal and insurmountable. But when you're swimming the ocean, you have to swim hard. And that's what I did. you can't keep doing that for long. You know, I didn't realize how tired I was until after he passed. And then I worked uh, up until almost a year after he passed. And that's why I've recently just uh, started taking a little time off because I am tired. And the stressors are uh, things that you need to do for self-care and you need breaks and you need sleep and you need this. And I've, I've learned through the caregiver SOS that uh, a lot of the times the caregivers actually start to fail before the, the ill patient. How many times they predecease their uh, care recipient. That's correct. That's because of stress related conditions. That's why it's so important. We tell caregivers all the time and it's hard to wrap your brain around, but they need to take care of themselves first so that they can take care of their loved one. Yeah. And that's that's hard. It's hard to do when, you know, the person that you're caring for needs 
right. needs that help. And talk, talk, talk. Um, pardon me for interrupting. No. Uh, talk a little bit about yourself as you uh, became the full-time caregiver and, and carrying a full-time job and uh, having raised all these kids. Uh, were you always that strong a person, or is it something that just bubbled up inside you? I think I've always been a super strong, confident person. However, when you're walking through that, it's like walking through a very bad storm. And my youngest son, who was in college, actually doing an internship at NASA, he had left to go to Houston. And I kind of felt like the floor fell out, and I felt like I was all alone. But everything just started coming together because I knew that I had to survive. And what I would do is I would stay up all night long because I was the nighttime caregiver. I would get up in the morning. I would make John his oatmeal, shower him, give him his meds, get him situated. Then I'd get myself ready for work, and then I'd go to work and, you know, just get through the day. And, you know, I, I work in senior care, so I was also giving to all those people that I was working with, but um, it's it's pretty amazing uh, when you have that superhuman strength or or uh, endurance when you know that you have to have it. And a, a, lo- a lot of caregivers out there are doing what I do. A lot of caregivers are. I want to talk in just a couple of minutes about uh, the kind of advice that you give to caregivers, how you'd like to see uh, the world change for caregivers and for care recipients and tell us a little bit now that there's been a little time between uh, when your husband passed away. As you look back, what are your best memories of him? You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 930 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. And Tina Smith very ably is filling in for her. Well, we are so pleased that you are riding along with us today on Caregiver SOS On Air as we talk about a very powerful emotional story involving caregiving for a husband who develops dementia and perhaps Louis body dementia. Dawn Hamilton is with us, and it is her story. Tina Smith is filling in today for co-host Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. Uh, Dawn, as you look back now, and you've had a little time uh, since John passed away, what are the pleasant memories? What are the things that really kind of make you smile? You know, he was such a, a wonderful person. And through the the disease state and the narrowing of his life, we got to spend the special time because I knew that it was limited. And so we would enjoy and laugh. We would laugh all the time. And I'll give you an example. Uh, we were sitting in the living room one day and all the kids were there, and they were kind of coming on board with, well, maybe mom's not crazy. Maybe he is sick. And about that time, he said, well, I'm really thirsty. I think I'm going to take a drink. And he turned, and he had the remote control in his hand, and he lifted the remote control like he was drinking a soda. And we all looked at each other like, if we hadn't been here, you you would not believe what you just saw. So all the memories and all the experiences that we had— And we had fun with him because since we put humor into it, the boys would put a couch out in the street and tell dad, which was very, before he was ill, he was very serious and and just a, 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 a corporate man. But now that he was sick, he was a little more laid back. They'd say, Dad, go sit out on the couch and read a book. And he would literally go out on the couch and read the book. And then they would take pictures of him. So we had a lot of fun. You know, in in kindness, right? But we we decided to enjoy the time that was left. And did he have lucid moments where you were connected again? No. Towards the end, he would always tell the children, "Who is that beautiful lady over there?" Um, I I sure would like to know her name. And well, that's you know, pretty cool. It's really cool. He would ask me to marry him all the time, <laughs> which was just such a blessing. And uh, we left our home in Northwest San Antonio. Uh, since we had so many kids, we had to downsize. And as we were uh, moving in or buying the smaller one towards the medical center, because I wanted him to be closer in case I thought he still thought he had a brain tumor. 
when we walked in, he said, give her whatever she wants. She's my queen. Oh, nice. And I knew he was sick because he was German. (laughs) And, you know, he wanted to barter on everything. But those are the kind of memories that you really latch on to. And all the good stuff starts to float up to the top after you get through the journey. Did you ever think about putting him in a memory unit? You know, uh, I played with that idea however because you were up 24 7 i was up 24 7 all my caregivers were were bailing on me which i totally understand however when i did go to uh view the memory cares that's five to seven thousand dollars a month private pay and i've never had a five thousand dollar mortgage and to my knowledge most people don't so and obviously we were not uh we didn't have long-term insurance we didn't have anything so I didn't have an option. But, yes, I did uh, entertain it, but it was not within reality for me or for the majority of the people out there that are now dealing with this. And it's important for people to realize when they're much younger, like some of our listeners may be, Medicare doesn't pay a thing for long-term care. No, no, Medicare does not. And so if you can start saving, because it's going to happen to all of us, we at some point will be a caregiver and we'll need caregiving. And and I think it's important to know for the general public, no non-licensed care is covered. So anything medical uh, that's not prescribed by a doctor will not be covered. So anytime you need care in your home, that's all private pay. And that was another lesson that I learned that was real tough because the the going rate for in-home caregivers is about $22 an hour. And that adds up pretty quickly. Well, yes, it does. So in the end, you and Doris and her sister and Joyce, her daughter, are doing it all. Yeah, and and my daughter, which is, I I have to give hats off to her and and the sons. She had three babies. She had a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old, and a demented father that she would keep with her all day long. And at the end of the day, she'd call me crying saying, Mom, I can't do this much longer. Because, I mean, he was more work than her three little boys. I'm sure. Yeah. It, it was tough. So for the caregivers who are listening or, or for the folks who, who are uh, concerned because their loved one is showing signs of dementia, what's your best advice? You know, my best advice is always stick to your gut. There's so many resources out there, just like I accidentally happened on to a caregiver SOS uh, convention, which was work-related. And always be open to see what you might need in the future. And also, I was very blessed with people that would tell me, make sure you're looking at your advanced directives. Make sure you're taking care of your house deeds. Do everything proactively because none of us are getting out of here alive. And so there has to be a plan. And my thought is let's start the conversation. Let's make a plan and understand that we're all narrowing from where we're at right now. And let, let's do it the smart way, not the hard way. As you were caring for him over time, there had to be days when you said to yourself, you know, I can't do this anymore. I would sit in my car and cry. It was tough. It really was. But you get back up on that horse. You really do. Because you have to. And the thing is, is that no one thinks that anyone can take as good care of their loved ones as you can but that's kind of silly too because just like uh, Tina alluded to you have to take care of yourself and you can't carry it alone you cannot carry it all by yourself so use the caregiver SOS and go out there and find the resources that are out there which are very limited and they give you information but uh, educate yourself and figure out what you're going to need because we're all going to need someone someday so when Doris came in Uh, or or her sister or her daughter, and you had time, what did you do? What did you do for you? We we would go. We would take John to dances. We would take John out to eat. So you'd take him out? Oh, yes. And when I was working, Doris and June would take John out to uh, church uh, luncheons. They would take John to – Joy actually had a thrift store or something, and she would let John help get all the high stuff off the high shelves. And then, you know, when he was disruptive or something, she would just text me and say, this is not working. Get one of your kids. So, you know, you kind of have to roll with the punches. I have a, a question kind of along those lines is that a lot of caregivers who are caring for someone with some type of dementia 
probably become home, homebound because they're afraid to take their loved one out because of the way that they might respond. How did you, how did you overcome that, or what steps did you did you do? Some preventative, you know, forward work first, or what made you take them out, and, and what advice would you give to people? It's not to necessarily keep them at home and to to be able to take them out and enjoy some maybe some social activities. I, I think it's important to still socialize even when they're struggling. Um, yes, it's a lot more work to do it. However, it lends balance to your life. Caregivers have a tendency to feel imprisoned or feel like like they're tied down and what you need to do is get them out and enjoy those moments that you're going to have to hold on and cherish forever and you know no they can't do a lot but I always looked at John as though he was like a toddler and the thing is is you would take a toddler with you but you would not expect that toddler to function like a grown adult so absolutely take them out and love them and let them experience life but don't don't have the expectations unrealistic. One day, uh, shopping at HEB, uh, I, I saw a woman. They were standing in line in front of me at the checkout, and it was a woman with, I, I assumed it was her mother or an aunt, who clearly uh, was struggling with issues. I, I figured probably dementia, and she had her out with her shopping. And as I put my items on the cart, she very carefully took them off the cart and put them in her basket. <laughs> Item basket, item basket, and I, you know, I thought it was pretty funny. And I, I said to the, uh, you know, the caretaker or daughter, I said, "Hey, that's cool. Can you pay for those too?" And she laughed and she said, "You know, mom or whatever, we need to put these back on." Okay, she took them out, put them on the uh, conveyor belt. Yeah, and it, it worked out really well. And so she was being socialized. Right. In a positive environment. And you have fun with it. You don't get upset because they're doing something like that because that's just what a little kid would do. And that's what you do is you treat them like a kid. You love them. They just need guidance and love and, you know, have fun with it. And also people understand if you kind of look at them like, hey, we're kind of having a struggle here. And, and then they know or we had even thought about maybe putting something on John's shirt. But, of course, like we student never- driver in the back of a car. <laughs> We never did, but I should have. But I didn't want to get in trouble. Well, there are cards caregivers can either make or I've I've seen that you can get them, but that says my loved one has dementia. Right. And you can kind of show it behind them. And, and it really does give lend to a, a much better understanding for the, the people around you. And now, w- with the kind of symptoms he was showing, he, he would get aggressive on occasion. He got he got very aggressive. How did you deal with that? Well, that's when I had my, my sons move in with me, literally. Uh, one six foot three and the other one six foot two. And they were like my Buckingham Palace guards. Because whenever I would say, John, come on, we need to go back. Because you have to redirect and you have to guide. And um, if he wasn't compliant, the boys were big enough, kind of like a bowling alley, where they're like, come on, Dad. And then he would he would go with them. Because it's important to have support with you that, that they understand that they can become violent. And as you see in the video, you'll see how he turns and kind of looks at me and the tone in and of itself will tell you that aggression is right there. And he would get a really strange look out of his eye. And when that would happen, I would let my boys know, I think we might have an episode. I need you in here. And, uh, one of the final, uh, psychotic episodes that he had I have burglar bars on the front of my house and he was literally trying to rip off the burglar bars and I couldn't stop him and I had to call I work with a CIT crisis intervention team with SAPD behavioral health and I went to the hospital I literally sat in the ER for 15 hours and the ER doc said why are you here I don't know why you're here because my husband presented so well And I said, I was told by my doctor to come here. And he goes, well, I don't know why you're here. So then CIT came in, and within less than three minutes, who know the history and the behavioral aspect of it, they came in, and they knew how to handle him. And within less than three seconds, uh, Ernie had said something. He's the head of the CIT to John. And John said, well, I'm really sick of being at the swimming pool. I'm ready to get out. And he ripped all his hospital bracelets off. And he goes, that's it. He's in emergency detention. And then they admitted him. 
Right. Yeah. One thing people may not realize with this disease, they, they can still retain their strength. So if they were big and strong beforehand, they're going to remain big and strong for, for a while. And, and they become superhuman. I've been told that women have been actually taken to the ER where they're unrecognizable because the people with Alzheimer's dementia lash out and think that the wife is an intruder and right. they hurt them. We're flat out of time. But before we go, how, how can folks see your video? The video is on YouTube. What you can do is you can uh, pull up YouTube, A Personal Story of Dementia. You will see me in a red shirt holding a picture of a, of a gentleman with dark, dark brown hair with a red jacket and a white polo shirt. And that's and John. That's John. That's my sweet John. So go to YouTube, A, a Personal, Personal Story of Dementia. Of Dementia. And... Uh, it's powerful. 16 minutes, it's worth it. Thank you. And and if there's anything Caregiver SOS can do or I can do, if families, you know, want to speak speak to us, please reach out. Thank you. Appreciate you coming Thank in. You. Tina, Thank you. Tina? Thank you. Powerful story. Oh, absolutely powerful. We appreciate you sharing the story because there's probably a number of caregivers who need to hear who, it. Exactly. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman coming your way. On Caregiver SOS On Air, I'm Ron Aaron with Tina Smith on 930 AM, The Answer. WellMed isn't your ordinary medical group. In fact, 9 out of 10 WellMed patients would recommend WellMed to friends and family. That's what WellMed patients in Texas and Florida said in a 2017 Press Ganey survey. Maybe we rate so highly because we have a better approach to health. WellMed doctors specialize in keeping people on Medicare healthy. We help you feel your best so you can live your best life. Maybe it's because we give you an entire medical team dedicated to looking out for you. Maybe it's the way we treat you with respect, spend extra time with you, or how we really listen. The Medicare annual enrollment period is October 15th to December 7th. Get the care you deserve. Pick a plan that opens the door to WellMed. Discover the WellMed difference at wellmedfindadoctor.com. That's wellmedfindadoctor.com. We are so pleased you were with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of every program, we jump to a segment we call Take 10. It features Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist and expert in addictions and caregiving. Our co-host Carol Zernil is here, and I'm Ron Aaron. And Carol, you have a topic that when you first threw it out off air to Jamie, it sounds more like combat post-military, PTSD. Well, you know, I recently ran into a family that did have someone in the military that deployed. Uh, and, but it was for a short period of time. When they came back, they did have PTSD, which made me think about the impact of trauma and, you know, uh, you know we, we've talked to caregivers who've been caregivers for years or family members that have been battling diseases for years. Um, you can have a single event. So I'm just wondering about the nature of, um, like, PTSD, people that suffer after effects from really bad things that happen or things that happen. I don't know. Maybe it's not really bad. Can you talk a little bit about PTSD and what it is and, and you know, do we, is everything PTSD that I've just been describing? This is a great topic, Carol. I'm glad you, you actually got this one because, interesting enough, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, it's, it's, it's pretty pandemic, if you will, throughout our population, not simply just caregivers, because trauma, which is any sort of episodic event that either occurs to you or you can witness, if you will, like a life-threatening event, um, really happens from childhood on and is often untreated and is often repressed, and people develop symptoms from post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and they may not even know it's that because it it's all depends upon the intensity of the trauma and how close you are to the trauma, um, and the, the fact is how you were before the trauma. If you had two feet on the ground taking care of yourself, good self-esteem, usually you'll come out of the traumatic period in that fashion. But if you weren't taking care of yourself, trauma can debilitate and can put, um, paralyze. So let me see if I can find an example from childhood. 
Um, you know, I'll, I'll use my own family. My, you know, my mother was sick off and on when I was a kid. And so we, my sister and I would go for fairly long periods where she wasn't really engaged with us. You know, we were safe. We had food. We had, you know, the things we needed. But she wasn't really emotionally engaged with us because she wasn't well. You know, is that something that, you know, may have left a little stamp on us, whether we knew it or not? Because my sister and I can tell you, don't think we have a little mark. Well, it also depends upon the age. What was it, what, how old were you? What was very young. Very, we're talking very young. Like so under five. Young. Okay, it could be a trauma. Again, this is things that the wonder of therapy can help, like peel the onion to find out if it's trauma, because there's definite interventions for trauma. But also, some of the things that you described could also kind of weigh into our personalities and not be trauma. Um, and later on, you know, that feeling of being, let's say, detached, or you know, I hate to use it, but the word abandoned sometimes from significant other can create personality traits later on. And that's what therapy is all about because it's also treatable and it's it's something that, that we can actually go within and come out on the bright side. Well, I'm going to go with personality because my husband's noticed I can go all the way from Texas to Wisconsin and not say a word. <laughs> That I'm perfectly content to just sit. I'm someone I can sit for very long periods of time doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, that's interesting because, you know, as a psychologist, um, I can actually treat trauma. There's several ways of doing it. But I did also experience, uh, I'm sure, traumatic events as a child. And so I actually am just like that, too. I kind of repress and I try to manage things around me. And uh, my therapist says, you know, I'm not open with the with the events that happened in childhood like you just were well so if you're if you're a caregiver or you're a you know Mm -hmm. a family member of someone who seems to have ptsd and you're thinking why do they have ptsd you know they they weren't gone that long or it didn't seem that traumatic to me i mean that doesn't matter does it it's really about the person it does not matter and i think we should also delineate something which is important because caregivers also suffer from another traumatic experience which is called compassion fatigue and the difference between post-traumatic stress disorder where it's an external trauma either we're involved with or life-threatening event or we're actually we're observing compassion fatigue is from within it's kind of trauma that would never resolve in ourselves so when a caregiver becomes very burnt out they can also exhibit symptoms of ptsd but instead of being an external trauma it's actually coming from within as an internal trauma. That's the difference between compassion fatigue and post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. Carol Zorniel, our co-host, is here as well. And I'm wondering, for a child, can PTSD be triggered by one event? I'm one of those kids who grew up in the Norman Rockwell world of everything was great. The cereal was always crisp. The milk was fresh. The the table was set. The strawberries were cut perfectly. God, I hope you had ruffled curtains. Otherwise, I'm going to be we sorely disappointed. We, we and I thought we I thought we were brothers from another mother, but that uh, was exactly the opposite. Oh, no. Everything was just perfect, except that one night when the phone rang in the middle of the night in a house where there was one phone, because why would you need more? And if the phone rang in the middle of the night, it was never good. And my dad's drugstore was burning down. I remember it like it's happening right now. And that is indelible. And that is untreated, or should I say maybe you have not gotten in touch with some of the interventions that can deal with trauma. That is exactly a trauma. That is dead on. In fact, we don't even remember, Ron and Carol, you know, much memories before what? Three years old, four years old? Yet trauma can be occurring at childbirth four years old and we don't even know but it gets repressed and also by the way just so you know uh, theories and data has backed up the fact that trauma if left untreated can become intergenerational which means you kind of hand the symptoms down for instance my father is a holocaust survivor and he never sought out therapy and what he did was basically pass a lot of the traumatic symptoms and events down to my sister and myself so what does that look like when you say passed it down what does that mean well, it's kind of a, it's, it's dysfunction. It really is. It's, it's about codependency, where, okay. let's say, our behavior evolves and revolves around either a person who's ill or a person who has trauma. 
um, and it's not quite authentic. And what we develop is behaviors to be able to manage that person. And then we develop roles in codependency, like the hero, the scapegoat, the mascot. But we're not acting in an authentic way. We're instead kind of responding to untreated trauma in our father or our mother or, like Ron says, even in something that he may have witnessed and, and was a part of but can't explain today. Right. So what would you say to the people who say, oh, that's hocus pocus, that's, you know, childhood drama, flee, flee, flee? What would you say to those I people? Do. I'm a huge believer that almost every behavioral health challenge, from addictions to psychiatric issues of depression and bipolar, um, has some undercurrent, underpinning of trauma. I just can't imagine a lifetime at all without some episodic two-by-four hitting us at a time when we least suspect it and us not necessarily getting help for it. So I think that trauma is huge, and our society is looking for ways to obviously treat it. My nephew came back also from Iraq, just like your family member, uh, uh, Carol, and he was there for a short period of time, and he still suffers from PTSD. But it doesn't have to be wartime. It truly doesn't. We see it happening in our lifetimes just the way Ron described it. So what I'm hearing you say, the bottom line of all this PTSD discussion is, you know, really to kind of get in touch with, if you see someone that seems to have PTSD or if you have this, you know, anxiety and dysfunction in your life, that, you know, working on it really might help. Absolutely, because what happens is you're going to start drinking, you're going to start medicating it, you're going to look to harm yourself sometimes or others. These are all symptoms of, of trauma, untreated. Uh, you pull away from people. You become isolated. I mean, this all seems to mirror what we discuss sometimes with caregiver burnout that then progresses to compassion fatigue. Those symptoms are so similar. But we as therapists really have ways to deal with the trauma. So hope springs eternal. If you do feel you have any of these symptoms, please, please call a trauma-trained therapist. I like that. I'll get a phone number for my wife. <laughs> there you go. For caregiving. That is a trauma. Caregiving counseling. Being married to you. Yeah. She said the other day she's discovered she has no compassion. <laughs> no big deal. Hey, thanks for joining oh, us on this. Dr. Jamie, this was great. Why don't we do it again next week? Love to. Love to. Take 10 right here on Caregiver SOS On Air with Carol Zernell and Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you soon. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, what can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.